We are back with XR at Work. I'm Scott. And I'm Dane. That's us. All right. So, Christopher Lind, what an honor. What a privilege to have you. <laughs> Let me build you up. We're going to have to widen your I told you this makes me ego. feel awkward. So, yeah. <laughs> that's that's really the goal, Christopher. We're just getting you on here. To that's make right. You feel right. Yeah. Okay. So, for our... Start. For audience members, we want to introduce you guys. Christopher Lind is someone I've been following for a while. Um, super excited. Uh, I first became aware of your podcast, um, Learning Talks, years ago when James Watson was on your show. Yeah. And uh, really the first time where I said, oh, crap, there's somebody that knows what they're talking about, you know, doing a podcast. <laughs> or at least does a good job acting like yeah. this. One of the two, we're not sure. <laughs> and then Dana and I said, let's try and imitate it. And we have not been able to to mimic what you're doing, but you do a great job, brother. Well, thank um, you. So Christopher is um, the host of Learning Tech Talks. New episodes come out each week. Um, really at the intersection of business and people and technology and just in a great place. I think you're uh, positioned in a really good spot. And... Um, you live in Wisconsin, is that right? I do. I live in the western suburbs of Milwaukee at the yeah. perfect level where, you know, I can get to a store if I need to, but also <laughs> there's cow pastures just out the side and we're on two acres. I'm like, this is this is my dream state. There you go. There you go. So the other thing I wanted to bring up, right, is that yeah. I've got five children. I thought I was yeah. some sort of rock star, but I'm like, <laughs> Christopher Lynn. You got seven kids, right? I do. Yeah, all under one. Well, the oldest just turned twelve on Saturday. Wow. So, it's yeah, terrific. it's it's busy. It's amazing. It's this quiet. I mean, really, that's microphone tricks because <laughs> is that it's it? Constant noise in the house. I just have a yeah. really good sound setup. <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool, man. That's kudos to you. I, you know, being a dad is the the coolest. It really is. It's uh, it's the I best job it. I have. Yeah. I know when people ask me what I do, I'm like, well, I'm a husband and a dad. And yeah. I also happen to have like a thing that pays the bills. Yeah. <laughs> and I cannot wait for them to leave the house. So um, <laughs> let's jump into this because I, I, having someone who's an expert in the use of immersive technologies for specifically about how frontline workers are trained and supported on the front lines, my big question starting off right is, is there really quantifiable value for XR in learning and development? I mean, we hear a lot of hype. We hear a lot of, you know, uh, uh, guesswork going on from your seat. How real is this, right? Is it really bringing the value that we hear it's bringing? So people get really frustrated with my answers on this sometimes because my answer is it depends. It really depends. And it depends on what you're doing with it. And what I've seen over the years is, if you're grossly misusing it, then of course, no, you're not going to get any benefit out of it. And that's what I see a large majority of the time. People go, well, I'm using it and it's not doing anything. And I'm like, well, are you sure that's the technology's fault? Because <laughs> it's just an enabler of mm -hmm. what you were doing. To me, it's the same as saying, is enabling performance or helping people practice something, is that good for them? Who's going, no, I don't actually <laughs> believe in that. And I think that's one of the things to me, it's really fundamentally about how are you using it? If you're using it right, yes, I have seen it have significant positive impacts on things. But again, that if is the key. 
So, so what do you think allows people to effectively, you know, use the tech? Like, what does good versus yeah. bad look like? You know, that you've seen as far as implementation. Yeah. What are wow. people doing well, wrong? You see out there, yeah. So some of the here's one of the biggest ones. We talk a lot about experience in our industry. We talk about experience, but a lot of what we're actually doing is education. And that to me is one of the biggest fundamental missteps I see when it comes to XR technology is it's like, how do we tell people things, but now we tell people things with really fancy technology. And to me, that's why do you need fancy technology to tell people things? We don't need that. If we need to enable them while they're doing something, if we want them to be able to practice in a safe environment or do something where they can actually get feedback on how did I actually perform that task? Well, then that's a really good use of it. If you're saying we've got these really cool headset devices, maybe we can force them to consume our content in that. Well, then you're fundamentally missing the mark. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting because you're, to your point, you're changing how people interact with their day-to-day job. And so disrupting their day-to-day just to insert a new piece of technology is not you know, it's not servicing your customer. It's just adding a new thing for them to learn and right. have to do. And a lot of times we do that because we're excited about it. And so we're like, wow, wouldn't it be great if we could get people to use this? And it's like, well, but really, who are we here to serve? Like, it's not about our agenda. It's about enabling performance in the workforce. One of the smartest things, uh, actually, uh, Dr. Brian Laughlin who Dane knows pretty well, uh, has been on the podcast a couple of times. And one of the things that he says that really resonated with me, Christopher, is he said, oftentimes we become, we are both the purveyors of and protectors from the same technology. Um, Because if we let our customers, users run rampant, right? They want the cool, shiny stuff and not the stuff that really is going to have the most impact on their day to day. Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways, looking in the mirror, sometimes we're also doing the same thing, yeah. right? I mean, I've, I and I'm guilty of it myself. Going, yeah. you go see something, you're like, "That's awesome!" Yeah. Now I've got a hammer. Where's some nails that I can start smashing? And it's like, whoa! And I think even sometimes for ourselves, we got to pull ourselves back and go, "Well, wait, what are we really trying to accomplish here? And is this the right medium?" to be doing this? And is it actually improving the experience? Is it reducing friction? Or are we actually adding more friction to the system? So can we accurately recreate a frontline job simulation, you know, from manufacturing in VR? Is it even, is the technology even uh, believable enough yet? I mean, are we still in that weird kind of place where it's distracting? So I would say we're there from a state of, is it realistic. And at this point, my take on this, I was asked this the other day and I said, listen, unless you're asking people to physically touch and actually sense or taste or smell things, if that, unless that's part of it, we can effectively do that. Now, whether or not it's worth the investment in what it's going to take, well, that's a different question because can you do it? And should you do it are two different questions. But in terms of is the technology at least at a point where you go, in theory, could we simulate this to a level at which it would be as effective or more effective than real life? I would say yes, but then you get into that trifecta of, well, time, money, and if, you know, <laughs> how far do we want to go with this? Yeah. 
Right. Well, it's funny because, you know, there's a, the rule of four, which I think Scott introduced us both to, Christopher, you know, that you, you hear a lot of times when you talk to vendors or other folks, you know, they'll, they'll say uh, you'll get 400% increase or it cuts it down by, you know, a quarter or 25%. Like, is there, is there anything to that? Or do you think it's marketing mumbo jumbo? And does it, you know, is it yeah. different? On a... <laughs> so, here, so here's the there's thing. Our here's the thing. Well, and I get what they're getting at which is they're trying to overcome this belief that it doesn't work. And so sometimes you end up using hyperbole to try and really shock and awe people and go, whoa, I better pay attention to this. Where I think it falls apart a bit is, and this is a question I get a lot where I'll present things on, hey, here's something we're thinking of doing. And people go, well, how do you know that's going to work? And I go, what are you measuring now to know what you're doing is working? And it's just met with this like, uh, so oftentimes when I see these hyperbole statistics of 400% retention for like compared to what, because what I know about most organizations is they're not measuring much of anything right now. Yeah. So if you're setting up your test case against your own data to go, well, see, look, I don't trust any sort of that data. Now, do I believe and have I seen it work and be effective? Yes. Do I really care the percentages? No, because quite frankly, like I said, I think a lot of times you look back and go, you weren't measuring whether what you were doing was effective in the first place. How can you compare? You have to have a baseline to compare it to. So uh, we use XR a lot to replace manual processes. You know, we have a, in my day job, we have a fair amount of work instructions or reference material written in Sharpie on a piece of cardboard duct taped to the wall next to the machine. And yes. people you know, thumb their nose at XR, say, well, is that really going to help us? Well, it can't be any worse than that, right? And I yes. point to the, the piece of cardboard duct taped to the wall. It's like, there's no measuring anything with that. And who knows if it's even right, right or and not. And you have right? no, that's just it. Yeah. How could you even measure that? No. You couldn't, there'd be no way. So yeah. even layering on a digital layer to say, at least we know what's now happening. Yeah. So that we can start to see where is there junk in this. There's value in that and saying, mm -hmm. at least now we know what's going on and where things are breaking. That's yeah. actual quantifiable data that you used to not even be able to right. get. So I think there's value even in that, that often nobody talks about that. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, this is interesting because yeah, on almost every podcast we ask people, you know, what are, what, what's something that you would recommend to someone starting out? And it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, come up with a baseline before you even get started. Just mm. understand your current process before you even look at XR. <laughs> that is like such a fundamental step that I often do tell people that a lot of times they're looking at like the, the end game. How do we get to that? And I'm like, mm -hmm. let's back up to where do we start? Like, yeah. how do you even know what you're doing now? And where those gaps are and where you might be able to make things. And there's no reason you can't experiment without XR technology. You can start to play with some experiments to prove out and find some use cases to go, wow, this worked really well. What if we could scale or do this in a different way that was, you know, much more scalable or meaningful in an organization. And then you've got a use case. You know, the first factory I went to Christopher years ago, uh, they wanted me to, uh, they said it, it's taken too long to uh, repair machinery, right? We want to bring that time to repair down. 
And they started throwing out, you know, numbers about what they wanted the repair times to be. And when I asked them, well, how long does it take to repair that machine now when it goes down? They couldn't tell me, right? And it's like, you're already going to call my shot and you can't even tell me, you know, where you're at That's now with your that. existing stuff. Yeah. That's just it. And I think, you know, to the other thing, sometimes we're trying to go end game instead of one good example of this. That was just a simple, simple, simple thing where we said, hey, wouldn't this prove out viability was couldn't we have a senior person just giving feedback to somebody through a wearable camera? Like we're not even layering on all of this other stuff, but like just somebody who can see what they can see and give them instructions in their ears to go, oh, that's what that problem. This wasn't, we didn't need HoloLens 2s and you know, whole design teams yeah. to do all this, but it proved out the concept that people went, whoa, that was really crazy what we were able to, yeah, now imagine if we were able to bolt on some of these other capabilities yeah. and people started seeing the possibilities. You know, that's, that's interesting. So, you know, Brian Laughlin was talking a lot about, you know, process over technology. You know, it's, it's people process technology, not technology, you know, in, in the first order. And so I'm, I'm interested in, you know, when you, when somebody comes to you and they say, Hey, Christopher, I need help with my organization. You know, what are the first you know, three things that you, you ask them to do uh, in yeah. order to address that? Yeah. So I don't know that I have like this nice, like, here's my follow <laughs> yeah. list. But usually for me, a lot of it is the conversation of what are you actually trying to do? Mm-hmm. And honestly, most people have not thought that through very well. They think they have, but they're like, well, we're trying to, like you gave the example, Scott, we want to reduce repair time on this machine. Help me understand what do you mean by that? Like, yeah all the time, sometimes, is there a problem with how it's working now? Like, help me understand why this is a problem in the first place. And then digging into the what's going on right now that you wish wasn't happening. And again, a lot of times people haven't thought about that. They haven't thought like, well, I, hmm, that's a really good question. And then asking into like, why is that happening? Do you have any indication of it? Do you have any indication of why people are doing it that way and why they aren't doing it the way you'd like to. And as you start to unpack this stuff, pretty soon you open Pandora's box and you're going, well, now we got like a hundred things we could focus on. Yeah. Let's pick two. What if we could just zone in on this and maybe see if we could get a positive impact here? So one of the things that I think industry struggles with is we, we all, you know, the, the XR teams are generally not, you know, the, the companies we work for XR is not the product, right? right. So you have a, a team of folks that is, is focused on making an actual product that ends up being sold to the market. So when we go through and we say, wow, there's a hundred things that we need to go and fix, uh, you know, how do we, you know, let's say we have two of them and then folks say, well, you know, I'm so busy running my day job. You know, how do I, mm-hmm. how do I work myself out of that? Like what, what's your answer to that conundrum that, that you run into with businesses? Is it like, you know, you have to do this. There's not an option or you just keep running the treadmill. Yeah. Helping people understand that what you're trying to do is help reduce work and that by investing in things, you're actually going to take work off their, that 
if somebody has the, if somebody that one of the four people listening, like you said, like if they have the answer <laughs> to that, call me because then okay, I'd cool. love to hear what the magic bullet is. Cause I don't yeah. know what it is. It's different mm -hmm. every time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's usually something going on underneath the surface though, where it's one of those, you got to help people unpack. Like, why are you so, a good example of this? Like long time ago, over 10 years ago, we had something, I was in higher ed and it was one of these situations where somebody came and said, the way our admissions counselors do tours is broken. We need to fix it. We need training. And I'm like, okay, like, what do you mean by that? And we actually found out there really was no consistent process for doing a tour. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, well, maybe we should try and define that. And as we started getting into that, what we realized was there was too much information for somebody to have to remember. And it was really yeah. clunky because each student had a different request. And so we actually used little scannable hotspots throughout the campus that was like, well, then let's just put these things and make sure people know where they are. Then they can follow the process. But then based on what the student wants, they can get the information they need in that moment and then just go with it. But we're not going to mandate they have to do. So it never even started as an XR project, but it ended up turning into an augmented reality project that got fully funded. And people were like, this is brilliant. And it was like, well, but that's how we work through it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting that I, I use this analogy as well, this example as well, Christopher, where you've got kids like I've got kids and, you know, the deal at, at, at Disney where you go through and they have the little scannable, you know, scavenger hunt, you know, you get the wand and you wave it or whatever. And, and, you know, people love this stuff, man, finding yep. places and scanning it and getting augmented reality, you know, uh, information. Um, and we do the same sort of thing in, uh, in our factories, right? Scan a QR yep. code or scan the, uh, you know, some, some, um, points on the beginning of a machine and get the procedures for how to start up, run, stop, lock out this machine. And, um, uh, I think we're all still, you know, six years old at heart and we, we get all jazz when we move our phone or tablet over something and we get information. Right. And why not translate that to the factory? You know? Right. Well, and if you think if about it, makes it sense. if it makes sense, yeah. but it all goes back to, we're actually, and what we don't see under the surface ties to kind of the human psychology behind it is you're allowing people a personalized experience because you're saying, you know what, you know what you're trying to do rather than us trying to force you through it. We're going to make things available to you so that you can get them when you need it. And if you don't need it, that's fine type of a thing. So we're kind of tapping into this. We're empowering you in ways that, you know, we didn't really plan on, but it's a, it's a happy accident as an outcome. So do you feel like sometimes you end up being uh, more of a uh, group therapist, uh, group therapy session facilitator than uh, a solution <laughs> provider? I mean, to some degree, but isn't that, I mean, to me, that's the business that I got into. The reason yeah. I, I originally was going to be a computer programmer and I thought computers were boring. They were too predictable. It's like ones and zeros. It's always the same. People are fascinating. You, yeah. you never get the same outcome twice. You're like, wow, like, I could have swore this is what was going to happen. And then yeah. I tried it and it didn't work this time. And so you're constantly problem solving. So yeah, I mean, in some ways it I is. I know Dan and I get, get this a lot where people want me to have one device, one piece of software that solves every problem in every factory for every worker. And it's like, guys, it doesn't exist. And likely will never exist, right? I mean, the no. stuff that we get asked or expected because they saw... Uh, an Iron Man movie, they think we can go do it, right? So. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I've I've run into that all the time. And I asked the question back. I go, what if I told you on your iPhone, you could only have one app? 
<laughs> and like almost immediately people are like, oh, oh, that'd be awful. And I'm like, why would it be awful? What if I could tell you, you could have one app and you have that. to do everything. You have to do your shopping on it. You have to look up math. You have to do all of it through one app. How yeah. would you feel? And they're like, that's a terrible experience. I'm like, yet you're asking me to do that for our employees is jam everything into it. Now, can I get behind a single pane of glass? Sure. Yeah. Fine. That I can work towards, but don't try and ask me to make a Franken device that is literally just a Franken app that is an atrocity. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. One of the things we're talking about here is gamification, right? Like that's what Disney does and it drives people to use it. What is your perspective from an L and D, you know, guru uh, perspective on on gamification? Because yeah. I, I I see the bonus and I see also areas where people might go awry. This, like many things, to me comes back to a fundamental misunderstanding of what that actually means and what you're trying to accomplish. So I spent a good chunk of time studying game theory and gamification, and there's some real science behind it. And unfortunately. When you try and take something that's scientific and based in human psychology and whip it out like, I know, let's throw a leaderboard on things. That's going to make people try and do things. And you don't really think about what, what were you trying to do as part of that? So a good example of this, I remember there was a time people were like, we need a leaderboard because leaderboards make people do things. And I said, do you really want to incentivize behavior where people are meaninglessly chasing yeah. stuff down to get to the top of a leaderboard and not working, but just doing whatever it takes to get points to stay at the top. Mm. Cause that's the kind of behavior you're trying to incentive. Well, gosh, we don't want that. Exactly. So like, what are we really trying to do? Are there certain times that game design and game elements can be used brilliantly? Absolutely. But you really have to ask yourself like, what kind of behavior are we trying to drive? And then how does the mechanics of this game tie into that? And if you can answer those questions, then it's worth saying, okay, I think that, but you also have to ask, but what is the potential fallout? And like that leaderboard example, once people saw the fallout, they're like, oh no, kill the leaderboard. I'm like, well, the app, that's exactly right. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. There's always trade-offs uh, in implementing technology. And I don't know, a lot of times when we talk about technology, we only talk about the whiz bang and you know the good that it does, but you don't think about you know, three years down the line, do you completely change the, the culture from kind of an altruistic culture to, you know, something that's focused on a leaderboard or, you know, what are the second and third order effects? So I think that's a really right. interesting, you know, point. How, so when, in, in places where you do implement gamification, uh, is it just kind of plan, do, check, act kind of thing where, how do you make sure that you're not going down the wrong road, I guess, over time? Yeah. So one thing that you, <laughs> I want to highlight though, that you said that I think is really important is thinking through the unintended consequences is a really important part of this. So even just look at the research of what GPS has done. It's actually made people dumber when it comes to navigation. They, people, I mean, I tease my wife about this, but like, she doesn't know how to get to the grocery store because she's so used to like this. And it's like, is that necessarily bad? No, but have you considered that as a possible outcome? Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things we have to be really careful of. So now I forgot your question on gamification. No, no, no. <laughs> well, so it's funny, you, you mentioned the GPS thing. And on the flip side, it's also like, I'm not nearly as good of a blacksmith as like a Celtic Lord would be, you know, back in the 1800s. Yes. So like, but I never would use blacksmithing. And so, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't actually matter. And so I wonder too, as we, 
move through, you know, history, like what are the skill sets that really don't matter, you know, that you can offload to technology without yeah. being like a hmm. core human. Well, uh, and I think this is where we do a really bad job deconstructing work and human behavior. We just put it in a box and we say, here, let's automate this without going, well, wait a minute. There's a whole lot more going on to this under the surface. And maybe we need to deconstruct that a bit and say, eh, like, realistically, does anybody need to have cartography skills in 2023? <laughs> right. No. But are there elements of recognizing, you know, knowing how to navigate, being able to problem solve if you run into certain situations? Yes. And so I think if we think about it in that, when we think about, well, what really goes into driving to the grocery store, there are elements that you might be able to deconstruct and say, some of these are ripe for automation and technology. Other ones, we may still automate, but we better think about how we're going to counter so that that doesn't atrophy so much we have mm -hmm. unintended consequences mm -hmm. elsewhere. And like the problem solving. To me, mm -hmm. it's a not a good consequence that people have become worse at problem solving when they're driving. So how do we account for that? Yeah, well, that's that's super interesting. Like I, I think about this with alarms, right? Like at work, you know, if 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 you have to get alarmed to know that something's wrong, then if the alarm doesn't work, you know, yeah. what, what happens, right? And well, so Well, and that's the fallout of gamification wrong. If you incentivize yep. everything, you actually create a Pavlov's kind of trigger where it becomes, well, now I don't do anything unless I get a reward. And yeah you got to think carefully about that because do you really want people to only do things because they're incentivized by it? Or do you want to incentivize the right things that nudge people in the right direction and change behavior in the right way that then can sustain itself beyond the nudges? So Christopher, let me ask you this. This is something that I love your take on. For years, I've been putting guided workflows into factories, right? So yep. scan a code, look at a machine, you know, select your procedure and it's, shows you or tells you how to do a 17-step process, right? But I've known in my heart for years that there needs to be a version of that for veteran workers that just forgot the setting in step eight versus new workers that need to be enforced to go through all the steps, right, to get to the end. Kind of what's your take on this? How How... How am I on to something there or I just dream yeah, this no. up? Is it is it tailoring the solutions for different level levels of skill? So this is where um, I actually had a conversation with a company called Augmenteer two weeks ago on my podcast that's yeah. really specializing in the connected worker in industrial environments. And this is where right, this is where we take the red pill. Okay. <laughs> Because what it's doing, and this is where things are going, is it's actually grabbing data from multiple sources. You know, who is who is the person? How long have they been on the shop floor? What? Mm -hmm. How long has it been since they've done this activity? Mm -hmm. What are their certifications? When have they expired? Who else is available on the floor at the same time? We're now, and this goes back to why technology is exciting and terrifying, is we're creating all of this data that AI can then start to look at and adapt mm -hmm. based on what people are doing and say, okay, well, if Scott just performed this task last week and he's performed it a hundred times in the last month with no errors, I probably don't need to force him through the whole mm. thing. But if this is Dane who just came off of paternity mm -hmm. leave, he hasn't done this and his certification is about to expire. And the last time he did it, there was an error. I'm actually going to say, 
you need to follow this process specifically. And the tech is, is it perfect? No, but it's getting to the point where we can truly personalize this to a state where it's actually getting to know who you are. And I think this goes back to countering the risk that we run where we go, well, we're just going to treat everyone like an idiot yeah. and make them step through everything and say, you know, what, we're actually going to challenge you to critically think and push yourself and slowly because kind of take you off. That's one of the big objections I hear from veteran frontline workers is that yeah. I've been here 27 years. I don't, I don't need that thing. Right. But if that thing gives you just the reference material that maybe we all need a hand with, no matter how long we've been working on the machine, that's not a bad thing, right? It's like, let's just give them what they need, no more, no less, for where they're right. at in their journey. Yeah. And and it kills the assumption that, and it helps people understand, just because I've been doing this for 20 years, doesn't mean I'm doing it well. Mm. Perhaps I'm on mm. one year of repeat for 20 years and... There's actually some things that I don't even realize in my hmm. own processes where I go, oh, had I had the data and known I'm having a downstream effect from a manufacturing standpoint, there are errors and omissions happening down the line because of mistakes I'm making. Hmm. Maybe I actually do need support, but now it's based on data instead of, oh yeah, my manager's really on my case. Like, yeah. well, it's actually helping inform that in meaningful ways. Yeah. One one thing that like as you're talking, I agree with what you, what you're saying. I, I'm like the the architect side of me starts to creep in, and I'm like, oh lord, like this is so much work. Yeah. Told you we were taking the red pill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, so I think that's you know before like even the technology, it's like, do you have the data structures in place? Are you using like graph database? to understand how things relate to each other. Like that's, that's been a big epiphany for me over the last year is, you know, we've been thinking about data as, you know, rows and columns for a long time. And, yes. you know, how do we start to think about like the relationships between how things actually interact? And, yep. you know, we, we do a lot of cleaning data in those rows and columns, but we almost never add the context of what mm, the data yep. actually means to it. And so that's, that's a, you know, it's like, even before you get to the technology piece, it's like, you know, do you have the data structure in place to even be able to handle, you know, mm -hmm. understanding if somebody has the right certification and the context of when they took the time off and the last time they did it, and, you know, all these different things. And yeah. I think, I think that's maybe a, a bigger challenge that a lot of folks run into in this space. It, they do. Not, yeah, they do. I think the good news is this is where, again, I, I, sometimes people think my solution to everything is technology and it's not. But this is where some of the machine learning is mm -hmm. actually helping with this because the reality is it's better and faster at finding patterns and correlations. Now, that doesn't mean there's no point or value in a Dane looking at that, mm -hmm. but the AI can much more quickly analyze this seemingly disparate data and go, I'm seeing this kind of pattern. Is there something to this? And then giving you the critical thinking to go, well, well, holy crap, you're I like, you're right. That is a pattern yeah. type mm -hmm. of a thing. And that's where I see the role of people and machines playing very well together. You know, it's funny because I'm, I'm going to take us down the chat GPT rabbit hole briefly because I know <laughs> I know Scott. The Scott what? Hates it when I when I blow it up with chat GPT, but I was going to bring yeah. chat GPT up. Okay, cool. Well, you know, so so one of the the conversations I was having the other day that I thought was really interesting is it was this kind of pie in the sky discussion around sure. uh, like realistic avatars, right? And I was thinking to myself, like, what's the value of of having a really hyper realistic avatar versus like a Teams meeting or you know this that we're doing right now? 
And then I was thinking about AI. If you think about it, like that could be the best UI for the average person in a population is to just, instead yeah. of having to go and sign up for your chat GPT account, you just interact with a, another person, you know, that with a chat bot behind it kind of thing. Yeah. And so I think that's a, that's an interesting, you know, they, they talk about chat GPT went from zero to a hundred million users or whatever in like 90 days. Right. Yeah. And I just wonder if, if that's the next iteration of this is some, more human interface than even you know typing into like a search bar and instead you just kind of ask your friend your ai friend tells you yeah you know, whatever information no and i think that's where you know a lot of the noise what's funny is a lot of people talk about this like it's a new thing and i mean i've been playing with generative ai for close to a decade so you know it was one of those things where it's like where did you think all this nlu and lnlp was going like this right. is exactly where it was going yeah type of a thing but I think to your point, right now, a lot of the focus is on content generation. Oh, isn't it great? You can ask it to write you a marketing post yeah. and it'll do it for you. And it's like, in a poem. no, it does it like at best, like a seventh grader type of a thing. But to your point of being able to identify everything that's going on, all these disparate data sources and allowing you a human type interaction to say, I'm trying to figure this out can you scour this and give me the best thing? But I think sometimes people freak out because they're like, well, does that mean we don't need people? And it's like, no, because it's still just collecting what's there. Mm -hmm. Somebody still needs to say, is that accurate? Is what mm -hmm. it's generating and pulling from, is that correct? And are we validating that these are the correct things? So for those like baseline things, yeah, it's going to be way better and faster than a person. For complex decisions, things like that. Like, no, we, we actually need people spending more time in that space. Mm -hmm. So for emerging tech, right? Ne next few years, where do you hope we go and where do you hope we don't go? Um, I mean, I hope to see us continue. I feel like the hardware right now is in like the late nineties Pentium space <laughs> yeah. where it's just, it's like, where is it going? And like, what are we doing? And it's emerging and morphing. And are we going to have two hardware? And it's kind of weird and quirky and yeah. bulky. And so I think, you know, back to the early cell phones. I remember the early cell phones. People were like, yeah, this is never going to go anywhere. And it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, had it stayed with the old Motorola thing, no, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. But as the tech evolved and it became much more accessible, I hope to see a continued consolidation and merging of this so that we can start to connect even things like, you know, wearables to things mm -hmm. that start to give us more data that then can feed into things. What I think the concern that I have that I hope we don't go down a path is this idea that like this solves everything. And that's, I think one of the things where we, we have a bad habit of doing this and going back to what we said before, we don't think of what are the possible negative outcomes mm -hmm. of this? I mean, if you ever watched the social media thing on Netflix, everybody yeah. talked about like nobody thought adding a like button would lead to like a ridiculous increase in suicides and depression. Yeah. And I think that's where, as I think about XR technology, it's like, let's try and figure out what those things are before they hit us 10 years down the road. And we're going, shoot, oh, no. like, how did yeah. we miss that one? Yeah, well, so that's an interesting one too because you know a lot of the uh, marketing in, information that you see around like augmented reality. I don't know if you've seen the one of the guy on the bus, and it's like there's stuff everywhere. 
you know, there's yeah. arrows pointing and things are flashing at you. And I'm like, are we just going to get to a place where like information overload yeah, and overstimulation? Yeah, we're just going to be numb to any kind of external stimuli. Right. So, or, or the other one that I see is us forgetting that there is a distinct difference between interacting like this with other people and interacting with a machine and recognizing that how do we make sure people don't, I mean, we've got a lot of lonely people out there who are struggling and can AI be extremely helpful to that? Yeah. In many regards, but we also need to make sure we're balancing that with right, but it's not a replacement. So yeah. how do we make sure we're balancing that well? So we don't end up with some cataclysmic psychological fallout we never saw right. coming. The phrase that's been floating around is, you know, that our solutions today create our problems for tomorrow, you know, and I, I, I like being where I'm at. I, you guys probably do too. You know, as we sit here in 2023, uh, someday my grandkids can say, yeah, my, my dad worked, you know, back in, uh, you know, whatever in the 21st century on, uh, you know, VR technology. And it's like, what? It's like, you know. <laughs> So ancient, you know, back in 2023. So I'm glad that I'm glad I'm here where I'm at, man. I've, I've been able to be yeah. a part of the dawning of the the, the internet and, and now, you know, uh, handheld devices and, and immersive technology. What a great time to be in this business. Yeah, I agree. I agree. A lot, well, you of, know, a lot of potential. Yeah. So our, our I've told you this before, Christopher, you know, Dan and I started XR at work because we wanted to be, uh, we wanted to foster a community where, uh, other XR practitioners can get um, guidance, uh, advice, feedback, uh, suggestions about how to get going in this technology in um, in enterprise uh, in in their jobs. And so, you know, I would ask you. Final question I would have is, you know, for for those men and women who are just starting out in technology, they've been asked to go put XR or immersive tech in some form or fashion into their companies. You know, what what sort of advice would you give them? What what would you like to tell uh, a younger you or a younger Dane or a younger Scott, you know, uh, just starting off. Yeah. I'll, I'll reiterate some of the things I said earlier, okay. which, you know, I, I have, <laughs> I tend to very much be a jump and then like look back later and be like, <laughs> you know, type of a thing. And I've gotten better at it with yeah. the size of my family. I have to. Right. Um, but I think that's one of the things where, you know, earlier in my career, when there was a cool, unique thing, I would just dive head first into it. And I think there's some real value to not being afraid to experiment. So that's where I, I caveat okay. this, that people don't go, so you're saying don't experiment. No, absolutely. I have an incubator that I run all the time where it's like, let's just try it. Like it doesn't mean we're going to invest, but I think I used to go big on things before I really knew is there viability here. And some things that have made me very unpopular, at least in the short term with business stakeholders is I always walk them back from solutions. So if somebody came hmm. to me today and said, we need to implement XR technology, I would say, I want you to stop right where you are and take the words implement XR technology out of this conversation. And let's get back to what are you really trying to do here? And sometimes people get really mad at you for that because they're like, I already have the answer and I know that's what we need to do. And then I just play dumb and go, well, but I don't. So bring me up to speed and then yeah. I can help you understand how to do that well. It's good advice, man. It's good advice. Dane, what else do we want to know from our expert friend here before we wrap it up, buddy? 
No, I'm sorry. He's never going to talk uh, to us again after this. So we <laughs> yeah, right. now. I was going to say Christopher left us uh, speechless there for a second. I just, <laughs> that was my mic here. drop. I, I that was. Yeah. just dropped it. No, I mean, I think, I think all the things that you called out, like what's emerged to me as a theme for this episode is that there's dichotomies everywhere. Right. It's like you want to you want to jump in and you want to move fast and break things, but you also don't want to jump in too early and move fast and break things. Or you don't want to like go too big on you know once you've broken it and fixed it, you don't want to go too big until you figure it out. And so that I think is the hardest part of our jobs is having those discussions with people is, you know, we're all walking a tightrope all the time and. That and we as people do not handle ambiguity well. No. We do not. Ha- everybody wants the solution. Well, just tell yeah. me the answer. And it's like, yeah. maybe the answer is we need to just keep experimenting with this. And people are like, I don't want, tell me what to do. And people really struggle with that. But to me, that's encouraging because that's what separates us from the machines, mm-hmm. right? So this fear of, well, are the machines coming for us? They, they can't have that conversation. Right. Only we can. Well, and, and that's a dichotomy in and of itself too, because you have people who say, well, I don't have time to do all the work that I have. And then you say, well, okay, we're going to replace this by automating it or whatever. And then they say, well, it's taking my job, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, a, there's all these dichotomies that we're, you know, we're working through on like a day-to-day basis. And so yes. um, we appreciate you, you know, taking the time to, yeah. to talk with us today and helping us walk that tightrope. And uh, hopefully, you know, in the future, we'll have opportunities to, to have you back on or, you know, any, anything that we can do to help support, you know, the work that you're doing as well. We would love to do that. Um, yeah. We, uh, we just threw your, your link up there. Uh, so if, if you yeah. guys want to go and see Christopher's work uh, outside of the discussion that we had today, go check it out. And uh, like I said, it's been an awesome conversation. I'm going to have a lot to fun. think about. Yeah. This is fun. And I, again, I'm happy. I could talk, I could have these conversations all day, every day. So you just let me know. I'll, we'll I'll do it again, man. Be, be careful what you say there, Christopher. Yeah. <laughs> you, call me back early. you, uh, you can pick whichever one of us you like the best and have, have us on your podcast. We'll, we'll just <laughs> let you, you decide that and see how it turns out. Sounds like Sounds a plan. Good. Oh, now it's competition. This is gamification. Uh, in, uh, it is. Yeah, there you go. Gamification at its core. But, I went uh, on that leaderboard. All right, good. <laughs> Good to meet you, buddy. Good luck with your family, and uh, keep up the good work. We uh, we're keeping an eye on you, and 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 we uh, we love having you in the community. And, and thanks for everything you're doing to 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 help keep it keep it real with with folks in in manufacturing. So we yeah, appreciate. Well, you. you know what? It's an important segment of the population that doesn't get enough attention. So That's right. I'm always happy to do what I can to help keep it moving. Great. Thanks a lot. We'll see you again.